Irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. You're listening to the Concierge Coaches Show with Bruce Cameron and Justin Nimmergood, only on LA Talk Radio. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Concierge Coaches Show. I'm Bruce Cameron. Uh, Justin may be with us in a few minutes, um, but uh, thanks for uh, tuning in. <clears throat> you may be seeing us live on Facebook right now. You may be seeing us live uh, on the LA Talk Radio stream right now, so <clears throat> it is good. We have a special guest that I that that many of you know. You've known him from other uh appearances on the show but i think he's making his first debut <laughs> with his countenance there so uh jose santana's will with us today jose welcome back thank you bruce good afternoon thank you oh, for having me. oh man always always good to, and uh help you know provide our listeners and others uh with uh updates on uh on uh covid19 and Federal Bureau of Prison Issues and even Federal Prison Consulting and Coaching <clears throat> that I know <clears throat> that you provide at a high level, highest level, highest level. So, um, well, here, you know, here we are, right? Uh, a lot of the cities are opening back up. And um, and with that opening, uh, the, the prisons are following. And uh, we understand that uh, in the Federal Bureau of Prisons, they're going to resume uh, visitation. So that is going to be uh, an interesting process as uh, the BOP gets ready to offer some degree of family visitation. Aren't you glad you're not in an institution now? <laughs> but anyway. We retired at the appropriate time. We sure, we sure did. So what do you think some of the challenges are going to be uh, with visitation? You know, with the visitation, it, it's a sad time for everybody in in the world. I mean, you can hug your loved ones, you can't shake hands like you used to. Uh, so, visitation will be uh, no less challenging. As we know, uh, when the pandemic hit, the Bureau of Prisons suspended social visitation for inmates and their families. Um, although they were afforded five hundred uh, telephone minutes versus the regular three hundred they had. Um, per month at no charge to help compensate uh, back then for the suspension of social visits and still remains, um, you know, but now the Bureau of Prisons will open up again, will resume in-person social visits uh, for inmates uh, at all 122 facilities nationwide, Bruce. Uh, so this will start no later than Saturday, October the 3rd, 2020. And just to give you a little uh, a little synopsis of what's going to happen. All visitations will be non-contact and social dis distancing between inmates and visitors uh, will be enforced. Uh, you know, they, the, the Bureau is going to be using either um, some plexiglasses like we've seen um, in restaurants and nationwide everywhere where businesses are conducting this type of, of barriers uh, or physical distancing. For example, at least six feet apart, 
uh, inmates in quarantine, the inmates, the, the loved ones that are in quarantine will not participate in social visiting. So that's an important thing. If the loved one of, of folks, loved ones are in quarantine, they should not go to visiting because they're not going to be allowed to visit. Uh, right. Also, the number of visitors in the visiting rooms will be based on available space uh, using uh, social distancing uh, measures. The frequency and length of visits will be established also to ensure all visitors have an opportunity to visit uh, at least twice a month. Twice a month, okay. Visitors should expect to be uh, symptom screened, temperature checked. Uh, visitors who are sick or are symptomatic uh, will not be allowed to visit. Uh, both inmates and visitors will wear appropriate face coverings. Uh, no bandanas or those things that they're using, um, they will perform um, the face coverings, masks at all times, uh, hand hygiene just before and after visiting, uh, tables, chairs, and other equipment uh, of high-touch areas uh, will be disinfected between visiting groups and all the areas to include the, the, the reception area, the lobbies, uh, will be clean also following the visit. So, it's going to be a challenging, it's going to be a challenging um, time for the Bureau of Prisons to manage the amount of visitors. I could, I could remember the lines that were formed out in, you know, in Beaumont, in Guaynabo, in, in all those places. They were out there. Uh, the, the lines of visitations were incredible. So imagine during this pandemic time, it's going to be just um, multiplied because of the social distancing in lines and in the visiting rooms, and then the limitations of capacities inside the visiting room. So, man, it's 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 a tough time for the Bureau of Prisons to manage their populations and and implement visiting again. So, yeah, especially with CDC guidelines, and I know that uh, safety departments are going to be <coughs> on you know tasked with uh, the, the brunt of this, and you know, but. Uh, I am going, and I'm glad to see the visitation uh, uh, still, you know, still get back and it helps with a more humane environment. Uh, you know, I think, I think with this COVID-19, I think quarantining people uh, has done more harm than uh, the COVID-19 itself. I'm not talking about inmates. I'm talking about people in nursing homes, uh, p- people that are at home and not able to access care and domestic violence in the home, alcohol and drug abuse. So, man, you know, just, just having that human contact goes a long, long way. And um, for everybody, uh, particularly uh, inmates in, in prison, remember the difference between jail and prison is that in jail, it's more of a transient population. There's actually innocent people in jail, believe it or not, a little bit. But in prison, right, people got to stay there for an upwards of years or even decades or sadly uh, the rest of their natural life. So uh, the prison population is more, more of a population that stays there. So, well, that's uh, I that, that's really true, Bruce. It's, it's a relief yeah. now for uh, the inmate and the families to see the love restriction is a it's an important component of the of the adjustment and rehabilitation 
of the MA population. So, yeah. So another another thing, I you know, since you're here, and we have a, yet again another hurricane out that looks like it's going to hit east of Beaumont, obviously. Uh, but uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, emergency preparedness uh, that the BOP takes? When, when there are storms, I know you've probably survived at least one or two hurricanes yourself <laughs> uh, during your tours of duty. Can you talk a little bit about that? I had to sleep, and I remember back in um, when uh, we were activating um, MDC Guanabo, we had to sleep inside because it was Hurricane Carmen or something came by, and we stayed at the institution. I had to leave for a little bit, get my family ready, my, my wife and the little ones uh, both two little ones were, I mean, were infants. So I had to go prepare them and then go hit the institution to get ready, activate the visitation room um, for families of, of, of our institution staff to stay there. Um, and actually we, I slept in my office uh, for a night or two. I remember that, but needless to say, when uh, Hurricane Rita, Katrina and all that were at Beaumont, I was in the regional office, you know, we activated the command center. I was, uh, you know, I had the graveyard shift there, uh, manning the command center and preparing. But it takes a lot to prepare an institution of 1,500, 2,000 inmates um, to have plenty of food, plenty of water, plenty of everything uh, for at least for at least two weeks. Um, it's a big, big challenge. And imagine that expanded by the pandemic, you know. Uh, so it's it's very very challenging. Uh, I tell you, it was it was bad because um, we didn't know if we were going to evacuate the whole institution. And back then, I'm talking about 2006, um, when Rita and Katrina were hitting uh, those areas, um, Oakdale, Louisiana, um, Beaumont, all those institutions in the South Central Region, which you were part of that, Bruce, um, South Central Region. So we had we, we had that dilemma. Where are we going to put over uh, 5,000, 6,000 inmates? I'm talking about it an example of the Beaumont complex. The Beaumont complex had the penitentiary, high security facility, had the medium security facility, um, had the low security facility, and the camp. All four institutions, there, it was over 5,000 inmates of all types of security. Where are you going to take that population to? Where are you going to place them? You can't mix them because obviously you got high, mediums, lows, and, and minimum security inmates. So um, it was decided to stay in place until uh, I mean, those institutions could resist a uh, Category 5 hurricane. Um, and most of them are built uh, to withstand um, earthquakes, you know. They have, but needless to say, you have, you, the Bureau had the dilemma to, to leave, uh, evacuate the whole place, or stay in place. It was decided to stay in place. We stayed in place until after the storm, when the water started, the surge came in, and the water came in, and uh, it was by boat only. You could get to that institution. And the water started um, climbing up at, at, at the lowest place. We had to bring the inmates up to the highest uh, tiers of the facilities, and, and um, one of the institutions um, 
we had to evacuate. Uh, the water was too much. The inmates, uh, imagine working with power, generator power. Uh, some of the generator power went down um, because obviously the, uh, so much water. Let, uh, I, I, I got a fun story on generators. You ready for this? It was unbearable. So we had to evacuate uh, one of the institutions over 2,000 inmates. They had ordered, yeah, they had ordered generators. And I think the generators, interestingly, and this is during my tour in the command center, some of the generators that they had ordered were from Brazil. And uh, they they had these two brand new generators, man, they couldn't use because they didn't have the adapters, you know, they couldn't, there was something about the generators. Do you remember that at all? Yes. Yes. (laughs) If there were massive generators, they were the biggest ones that we could get at that time, and they couldn't um, connect because the the connectors were different. So it, it's a challenging time when a when an emergency like that of that caliber comes to play, and you know you have lives of inmates. You can't forget the human the human side of corrections when those situations happen. Just like this uh, COVID nineteen pandemic. Um, it's a challenging time in the Bureau of Prisons. I, my, my heart goes out to all the staff and the brave people that work in prisons, man. They, they're, they are really heroes. There you have it, FCC Beaumont. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> Just pulled it, over, pulled it from the uh, collection over here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Over here. So, uh, yeah, man, it's good, good, good stuff. I remember... HMT and sort and emergency preparedness teams. We had staff members that were sleeping in cells oh, that yeah. were TDY. Oh yeah, Remember we that? had so many people there um, sleeping in, in in the institution because they yeah. couldn't come out. You, you could only go out yeah. out of that place when when Rita Katrina hit um, on boat uh, until the the National Guard came in and kind of helped out and brought us some more. Uh, provisions after a couple of weeks and the water receded and we got pumps in there started pumping water out then we let some staff go to check their homes and it was a disaster because uh, people were wanting to check their homes and go and see what happened to their places and their families you know because they had to stay at the institution and they couldn't get out so i mean the inmates were restless um i remember i was manning the, the the phone lines one eight hundred number we established for inmates' family to keep in touch, and people were crying. Families were desperate. I mean, it was it was a challenge. Um, it was a challenge, big time. Definitely, definitely a challenge. Um, well, and we just hope that now. Actually, here recently, <clears throat> one of our cases, or our cases, my case, but it was a. Uh, a female that she she's supposed to go to Mariana and could never get there. Right. Cause the fence blew down. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they sent everybody from Mariana to, to Yazoo or wherever. That was during um, hurricane Michael recently here. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. We yeah. had individuals, we had some of our clients that were at Mariana at the medium and they were transferred to Yazoo um, USP actually the USP Yazoo had not been activated fully and they were using it as a medium security facility versus uh, a full blown penitentiary. So they're actually, they're still there, Bruce. Those <laughs> are still there. I know. 
It never, it never came back. I mean, Mariana, uh, Mariana hadn't recovered fully. Um, they, they were getting it to open up, but then came all these hurricanes again, and so they had to put a stop on it. I think there's a cadre working on on the getting the institution back online. Yeah, yeah, there is. Um, so, you know, we had some people that were moved to other institutions. Nothing you can do about it, you know. It, it that affects your visitation. It affects your mail. Sometimes it, it greatly affects your living environment. And uh, you're with a bunch of people that uh, you may or may not want to be around because you're in this forced play of being now uh, housed in an institution. Uh, anyway that you didn't intend to intend on being that way. Um, so with, with these storms and with COVID-19 and, um, you know, seemingly thousands of inmates have, have now left uh, for home confinement due to CARES Act or compassionate release. Um, first step leaving, uh, you know, leaving the, the mainline institutions for home confinement. And so I think it's just now, right, that some of the lows, some of the lows are able to, if somebody's points go down to camp level, that they can go to the satellite camp next door. But for the longest time, right, some yeah. of these folks in these complexes were just frozen in their joint. And right. if they were, right, go ahead. What happened was they had to put a limit on the movement uh, additional limit on movement inside internal internal moves of the bureau of prisons are for lesser security greater security uh, all those type of transfers were put on a halt because of the capacity at the institutions so they had to follow the cdc guidelines as to capacity to allow uh, to a certain degree within the security structure of a of a of managing the inside of, of a secure facility Uh, they had to limit the capacities, and so movement was halted. But recently here, uh, I guess a couple of weeks ago, it opened back up uh, to renew the movement of lesser security inmates, uh, greater security transfers, and all other type of transfers. So the Bureau is, is gradually coming back up uh, to those types. We've seen recently here, we've seen some movement also from the marshals of Bruce, moving inmates out of the Bureau and moving inmates, staging them at places uh, to get them moved to their designated facilities. The Bureau is, tr is trying to go back as normal as they can um, with those, those type of uh, initial commitments. Exactly. So, <clears throat> so things will get back to a, to a better place. Right now, we have a lot of uh, clients in... Uh, awaiting to become full BOP card-carrying inmates. And they're not BOP card-carrying inmates right now because they're being held by the United States Marshal Service in a variety of different places, right? Correct. I mean, we got county jails. We got private detention centers uh, that, that house federal inmates. And man, this has been frustrating for a lot of our family members out there that call us wanting us to kind of jump in there and, and help with the situation with their loved one. But the problem is 
is that they're not a federal inmate for real at this moment. They're, they're still like people without a country. They're in transit. They're not, I mean, they're incarcerated. They're, they're being detained. They're earning time toward their sentence. Make no mistake about it. I mean, they're still doing their time. But in terms of case management and looking at First Step Act credits and what this and that and um, looking at kind of formalized schedules of health care and those things, man, that's out the window. That's not even there until you arrive at a, at a formal BOP facility. And so with these st- like storms that have happened and happening right now with Hurricane Sally, it's going to hit any, any moment right near uh, the mouth of the Mississippi or whatever. And so there's quite a few institutions, right, from Beaumont, oh, to Mariana, uh, and that's going to be a slow-moving storm, folks. That's just going to dump water, just dump and dump and dump and dump. And that's going to be the killer. It won't be the rain. It'll be the fact that that stupid storm sits over the southeast United States. I hope it doesn't. And it's just going to dump a crap ton of water, and that's going to po- pose problems. Anyway. Oh, we're saturated yeah. already. So it, it, will yeah. be, uh, it will be flooding. It would be, uh, you know, situations where the water is going to look – where to go through. And unfortunately, those institutions, um, you know, they're built well, but uh, they, they are not young structures anymore, even though the youngest is probably Beaumont, which was built in 96, uh, 94, 95, 96, and, and probably Pollock, Louisiana. But those institutions have been, you know, hit over and over by these type of, of, uh, climate uh, situations. So it, it is a challenge. Plus, a correctional facility, a tear and wear of every day, 24 7, with thousands of inmates, you know, um, going in, the, in those, those facilities, it, it will take a, a hit. It, it will be challenging to manage. And the dilemma is do you leave the place and move out, or do you stay in place? Either which way is a, it's not a, a, a good decision, uh, but the best thing is to stay in place until you can. Like we did with um, Katrina and Rita at Beaumont, and uh, we didn't lose any any inmates uh, as a consequence of those, uh, you know, storms. So. Man, it was such a beatdown. Katrina hit. We had uh, parish prisons that were literally destroyed in Louisiana, and several of those parish prisons. Uh, we had federal, we had federal guys, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, on one of my command center moments, there was a guy, and he had like this, he had this code like Papa ninety five death or whatever. We're looking at rosters on this guy. Well, <laughs> Jose, this dude was a death row inmate who was on writ. <laughs> uh. We couldn't find him, <laughs> and so you know, we found him. But I mean, the, 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 the complete, I mean, bro, we were on that satellite phone having the buses pull over. Like, is this dude, who are you? Like I'm Sergeant such and such from such and such parish prison, you know, dude's accent was so, so thick. I needed an interpreter. It's like, is this guy on the bus? Like, is he on the bus? Yes. I, 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 I shit you not. And I mean, it, talk about, I, I mean, and you know who we worked with at the time, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, the guy who loved to give ass chewings oh, freely, yeah. like oh, toothpicks. Yeah. Like, no, I'm not taking this one, man. 
I mean, you know, I mean, the dude is just, <laughs> I didn't pack the bus in such and such parish. You know what I mean? Yeah. But anyway, man, isn't that amazing how like, yeah, we, long story short, when you move inmates in a storm, come on, man, like that is, oh, you're yeah. taking all kind of risks for society, all kind of risks for the inmates, for the staff. I mean, if you got to do what you got to do, don't get me wrong, but God, man, that dude was a death row dude on rip. You know, and, and yeah. what we found on those circumstances, um, we dealt with a lot of those inmates, and we helped actually Louisiana a lot. Um, but the fact was that those inmates were very anxious. The anxiety level was up. But when it came to it, they really cooperated with, with the authorities. Um, they were... They were observant, they were uh, complying, they were obeying because their life was up to the transporting officers, you know. Um, we help with, with, we send a special uh, sort team up to the bridge in Louisiana where those inmates were, were uh, played. Yeah. And then we send buses to rescue those inmates out of there to, to move them um, from the Bureau of Prisons. Um, and the marshals were there also helping out. So it was interesting times. It was, oh, it was like no other times. Uh, I think the pandemic here um, is a different, total different situation because it's internal. It's not external. It doesn't affect externally, uh, um, but in a way it does. But the managing of the internal security uh, procedures of an institution are impacted all the way around because just, just think about it. Who works the kitchen, who works the commissary, who works all those places, are the inmate groups inside. So with physical um, physical distancing and social distancing law, you can have a normal operation inside a secure structure, a secure facility. So managing an institution like a, a, a high security facility, that is insane nowadays. Gladiator schools on wild, man. Yeah, but there, but uh, there was a darker side to that. Uh, I, 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 I like what you said about the inmates that were cooperative, uh, I, but some of those joints, we're not. I'm not talking about our joints, but their joints in mm-hmm. Louisiana, where we couldn't get a bus to them, and those dudes were just out on the yard, and people were just. I mean, it was savagery, bro. Mm-hmm. Food, people just throwing. I mean, it was. People got hurt and, and assaulted and stuff like that. So there were there there was a, a moment there where we, we we couldn't we and they couldn't they couldn't evacuate their own joints and, and we couldn't necessarily get the buses down from Raybrook or wherever, you know, <clears throat> to 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 get to them in a timely manner that that uh, lots of uh, some lives lost and whatever. Uh, not due to the, the hurricane, just due to, to savagery and uh, assaultive behavior, combative behavior uh, among higher security inmates. But um, that's neither here nor there. But that is reality of situation. Like you said, these these mediums and highs, penitentiaries, um, it's just a different different level of inmate and d- different things can happen. Absolutely. You were talking about the the COVID-19 and the inmates that were uh, released to home confinement um, by the Bureau of Prisons a little while ago. Yes, sir. I want to make make a point um, before we 
we forget and we skip this. Uh, you know, it has been no less than chaotic. Um, the review, uh, the considering, it's been inconsistencies on reviewing cases all over the Bureau of Prison nationwide. Uh, for those cases that are being reviewed for release under the uh, Attorney General's memo, Mm-hmm. Back in of March 2000, 2000, March of this year, March, actually March 26th of 2020, okay. um, which instructed the Bureau to review inmates and prioritize home confinement um, as an appropriate response to the COVID-19. Uh, so the Bureau of Prison has a total, has placed a total of 7,629 inmates on home confinement, which if you look at it, the Bureau has over 125,000, 126,000 inmates um, right now. Mm-hmm. It's it's less than what? <laughs> less than 5%? Yeah, or 5, 5, 6%. 5, 6%. So they haven't done a, a, a terrible job. It's been challenging everywhere, but they're still considering inmates. Um there is questions out there among a lot of attorneys, defense attorneys, the, the people that we work with, uh, some of the attorneys that have hired us and family of inmates that have hired us asking if it's going to uh, end, if it's going to slow down, if it's going to change. Um, what we heard, it's not. It might slow down a little bit when they open up back to normal operations, normal between what's the new normal, if you will. Uh, opening back to yeah. visiting, we haven't heard anything, any changes. Uh, we'll talk to our uh, sources and our bureau BOP uh, friends and see what they hear and what they can tell us. Uh, but the reality is that the inmates are going to be still submitted. They're going to be reviewed until the attorney general resents the memo and says they're not going to consider anymore. Right. We heard that. Right. And so what, what an interesting and there's another interesting question in here. And we're not going to answer that today because I'm going to leave this as a teaser for later and a teaser for folks to go to the First Step Act video uh, video channel on, on, on YouTube, but on uh, our Facebook page. But one, one of the questions that is being asked, is like, hey, these these inmates that are out with a 2027 release date. 2026, 2025, and they're sitting on home confinement, are they going to have to go back to prison? <laughs> That's the million-dollar question. <laughs> I mean, and yeah. so that, you know, that, that's a question. And, and look, there's a lot of arguments, uh, particularly not, not to send them back, obviously. But stay tuned to uh, Federal Prison Authority and the First Step Act channel to, to, to get that answer, which is going to be coming very quickly. Uh, it's on my list. Uh, it is yours too. And then actually it'll be you and I together uh, uh, in a couple of days um, finding that out. So everybody's going to be on pins and needles wanting to hear the official answer or the, at least the, uh, the private answer from, from, from us. Um, what else was I going to say? Man, that, that's, that, that was, yeah, that was one thing. Oh, here's the other thing I was going to say. Okay, great. So 7,000 some odd inmates have gotten out already given these current procedures. Like you said, it's not bad. Could be better. But here we go. 
So what, what, what are we doing first? We're, 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 we're managing and mitigating risk, risk to society based on static and dynamic factors, based on several of the pattern risk tool scores. We won't go into that here. So where does that, that leaves us? Well, that leaves us with typically first offenders that might be a little bit older in age, uh, not trying to be redundant there, a little bit older, possibly a first offender, certainly a nonviolent offender, more than likely somebody who's in a federal prison camp or an individual who is so <clears throat> physically tore up <clears throat> that they're, you know, they're, they're, their risk is uh, not so much, if you, I might say, or what have you, or they came from a medical center or from a, from a low and they were a broken down uh, physically. But at, at what point, Jose, like we have so many people that are in lows. I'm almost saying forget the mediums, and I shouldn't say that, right? I mean, you got a guy in a medium, and somehow he's drifted down to a way down low or whatever, or a guy in a medium who's next to death, and he comes out on compassionate release. Okay, I'll work with that. But so when when do you think they'll start being able to get into some of the lows, or do you think they're actually getting to the lows now? I mean, we, we have a lot of camp activity, right? Well, Bruce, what, do you think? what are your thoughts? You've been with you've been in the conversations that we've had with law firms, uh, mm-hmm. reputable law firms that have hired us, um, yep. and families that have reached out to us, uh, trying to get assistance for their loved ones. Um, and I remind them all the time: look, the eligibility requirements for an inmate uh, to be considered for home confinement under the COVID nineteen or CARES Act are established are set forth in the Attorney General's memo of March 26th and April 3rd. There's no there's no other way around that. And what did they say there? Bottom line is the minimum pattern risk and low pattern risk will be considered. You have some inmates in minimum security facilities and CAM facilities that are, um, you know, classified as pattern risk low. Does it mean that they're not going to go? No, that does not mean that. It means medium security facility identified as a low pattern risk. That doesn't mean that that inmate does not qualify. It means that they could be reviewed. And another thing that we preach on and tell everybody is, hey, if the unit team doesn't submit you for for consideration, if the warden doesn't sign a referral, you're you're out of luck because no one could touch you until that institution puts in the paperwork and refers you. No, it doesn't matter what they say. Even the central office could push, the regional office could push. Anybody put anybody on a list, on a memo, or on a roster, type any roster from central office, from regional office. If the institution don't put them in for for referral or consideration, they ain't going. They ain't going. That's the bottom line. That's the The bottom line. And and how great is that on, on, on several occasions we've given a nudge uh, to the inmate and or uh, their respective institution executive staff with a nudge. Right. To then, oh, okay. Then they do it again. Then they resubmit again. And then voila. Right. And we've, we've been successful in advocating for certain individuals and have gotten them. As a matter of fact, it's been challenging on cases that have minimum um, pattern risk assessments, uh, but that have served a little bit of their sentence, even not even 25% of their sentence, but have risk factors and have been out. But even having 
you know, not served 25% of their sentence or 18 months or less. They've been out because they have been granted and reviewed and they do have risk factors. So each case is individual. But the bottom line is, just to answer your question, Bruce, in a long way, the low security, the low um, pattern risk, those inmates that are categorized as low pattern risk, it's not that they're not eligible. It's that they don't receive priority consideration until the minimums and the individuals with risk factors are evaluated. They will get their turn. Or will they? Or will they? Or will, will... The, the clock stop? Will the buzzer sound? Will the gate close? Like, okay, you know, we, we've reached a threshold and I don't know what that is. Right. And I, you know, we don't, we don't know what that is. Right. But we're just like, okay, that that's a wrap. Now we do know that they are taking new inmates, right? Cause we had a, a gentleman that got processed here uh, uh, lo- locally that, uh, that we worked with, right. They took him right on in. He had a self-surrender date. We were on the phone with the gentleman today. Uh, he's going to report on his self syndrome. You know what I mean? So, you know, he's going to report for duty and, you know, uh, they have a, they have a start date for this guy and letters are going to be issued and letters have been issued and people have been self-surrendering. So uh, make a mistake about BOP for our clients who are looking to get out of the BOP, because as long as you have people coming into the BOP, you're always going to have a bed space issue. Uh, particularly in the camps, right? Because they want to get these camps down to some social distance. I don't know, anyway. But so, yeah, this is this is a, an interesting time because it's a, it's a matter of juggling the numbers and the population numbers. What's coming in? What needs to come out? And who gets to come out? And what's the priority of who gets out? And again, Jose, to your point, it's the low risk individuals or Somebody who was maybe <clears throat> super short. Remember, we had a case where the guy, interesting fellow, but he couldn't get a regular RRC date, but they gave him a bridge furlough, home confinement, and then he reported to the RRC, got this kind of bridge furlough. Look, there's been a variety, and, and you know, there's been a variety of flavors as to decision making as to every case. Every case is different. Every case is based on their own facts, particular facts and merits of the case. And we've had guys who've been denied uh, several times by the by the region, by the central office, uh, uh, confinement committee review panel. uh, And then they were resubmitted a couple of months later. And they will consider why? Because the circumstances changed. The individual got to 25%, less than 18%, or served 50% of their sentence, or became all of a sudden evaluated again and has the risk factors as determined by the clinical directors for COVID. And so there's a variety of things. And, and numerically, the people that were in front of you got out. Exactly. And now, so, and, and now you, you raise up in the seniority list kind of sort of you know what i mean like now if you had if you have a central let's say i'm just shooting from the hip here but let's say in central office you have this big master roster of 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 people and guess you know i can't help but think that projected release date and other things uh but that's that's a multifaceted statistical equation anyhow so with the passage of time Right. And if the BOP is not taking in and, and so the BOP number is gradually going down without a whole lot of influx. Guess what? You know, your 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 chance uh, 
your chance goes in because your chance might not be so good if you get a new guy who comes in with a 366-day sentence. <laughs> new guy comes in with a 24-month sentence and he's 65 years old. Another dude, you know what I mean? 24, 28, right? You, you get fresh cases in there. These guys come in short. Case managers are already scrambling. Right. Doing the RRC paperwork and then, oh, man, you know. So anyway, sorry, man, I digress. Does no, that make sense? It makes sense. It's total, um, totally makes sense to me. And I think that's the way it, it, it's going to be. In a way, the Bureau uh, tries to evaluate every eligible case that they can, um, you know, to manage their institution better. What What does the Bureau gain in having... Uh, an individual that's asymptomatic, um, that's sick, that has the risk factors, um, they'll prefer that those individuals to go to their loved ones and be with their loved ones versus exactly. in, in a jail or in a prison facility. You know, I think that's going to continue. Uh, as we know, COVID is not going to go away uh, and erased all of a sudden from from the earth. And the Bureau is going to keep on looking at those inmates, you know, and the yeah. Bureau is going to be doing the right thing and in, in reviewing their cases that the wheels of justice are turned slow. Yeah, they do turn slow and you have to be tolerable and flexible and wait patiently. Uh, like we tell some of our clients that have been recently denied. Um, it's a matter of time. Your time will come, uh, especially if, you, if you're a minimum um pattern risk um, classification or even a low pattern risk classification. Yeah. Now, one well, I'll tell you what, though, if federal probation doesn't want you to come out to the street, you're screwed. If that prosecutor, that AUSA or something. Not only judge, probation, right. Prosecutor, the prosecutor is contacted. And if the prosecutor <laughs> said no, yeah. uh, most likely the Bureau of Prisons says yeah. no. Well, they'll, they'll, then they'll follow them. You, oh, yeah. you might have been a candidate. And then all of a sudden the BOP gets pushed back like, yeah, we're not doing this. You know, probation calls back and says, yeah, we're not doing this guy's home visit. We're not even going to do a Zoom home visit or nothing. We don't want this guy's like, oh, man. And, man, we've seen that happen. It doesn't happen a lot. but And then these 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 folks and their families are so damn mad. Why did my loved one get denied? This and that, this and that. And you start peeling the onion like, oh, my God, you know, like what 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 happened that that the, that the AUSA, the prosecutors, doesn't want you on the street. I mean, you know what I mean? So it's like, well, you you know what, what has happened on most of those cases is that they hire this attorney firms and the attorneys go, go hard and they file a compassionate release uh, motion and compassionate release is not the vehicle uh, because in any compassionate release request, the Bureau of Prisons is going to contact the prosecuting attorney and or even the prosecutor in that district and most of the time for a compassionate release there are strict requirements and they don't qualify for those compassionate releases so they're all of them are denied even though the prosecutors oppose it uh, they're going to be denied in their own merits because most of these guys are not the candidates for compassionate release there are a few exceptional cases that uh, will be granted a compassionate release and we can right. talk about that for a whole session. That's, yeah, that, that's a whole, right. That's a whole nother show. Like the person approached the warden, the warden denied him. They go to the courts. The courts go back to the warden and say, what did the warden say? Well, the warden denied me. Well, what, what, you know, why was that? You know yeah. what I mean? And then, 
and then they start to peel that onion and, and doesn't look so good uh, most of the time. So um, anyway, yeah, we, we could do a whole uh, whole another show on that. But uh, but man, what what an exciting time! I mean, um, you know, to, to me, uh, I you know, you and I both have graduate degrees. Uh, you, you, you as a juris doctor and myself as a clinical psychology to, uh, person and with a lot of, uh, you and I are both very skilled on, on uh, criminology and static and dynamic risk factors and uh, classically trained, I'm clinically trained and, and between the two of us, what, 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 what a great time this is to really kind of say, okay, how, how, what was the security level? What's the classification? How many months do they have left? Are they a first offender? Is this a gun case? 924C, gun possession? 41 AP. Yeah, yeah. 924, 922 possession. Were you a leader organizer? Were you this? Were you that? Do you have 80 million? And and so all these mitigating risk factors kind of in this soup. And and what we're doing is we're meticulously teasing these things out and then rank ordering them in terms of what the research says and you know, Hudson Institute, other, uh, uh, you know, uh, John Jay School, what, you know, what the, the, the big guns say in terms of a criminogenic uh, factor. Doing, I like what the attorney general is doing. If you if you look at these risk factors and, and the way they put in line, like institution misconduct. I know we could do a whole show on that. But you don't you have an incident report, even a 300 series incident report for what? Uh, yeah. Eating too much ramen noodles. You're out, right? Or you're, not, or you're not paying your FRP. Yeah, <laughs> FRP refused. Yeah, man. Financial responsibility program. Yeah. So it just what? I mean, so man, that just shows you uh, the, the importance of even institution conduct is 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 extremely important. And I think what our our clients and their families don't realize some of those hundred series shots for bootleg and illegal cell phones some of these things for assaults and big time fight that that can kind of carry on on the pattern for years. Absolutely. Or, or you have a, a, a very uh, indisposed, uh, very, for lack of a better word, a very nasty disposition of an inmate that doesn't care, <laughs> does not follow the, the uh, unit team's recommendations, program goals, measurable goals, or you just lazy, keep poor sanitation in your cell, you know, uh, all yeah. those factors, or in in an example given here, um, the factors of your case. For example, you were harboring illegal, um, indoc- <laughs> undocumented uh, aliens. Your case. That, were yeah. that were fugitives. That were, that were fugitives. Yeah. You were harboring them and assisting them, and then you want a, a compassionate release, or you want a, a home confinement under the COVID procedures. Uh, or you recently get you recently get failed out of the RDAP program. <clears throat> you recently get an incident report for uh, reading somebody else's magazine or something, or you know being in an unauthorized area, all that other stuff. And you're just you just reset the clock for at least another year. We got about two minutes left. Uh, so um, any any kind of wind down comments, Mr. Santana? Oh, yeah. Always good to have you on the show. The bottom line is, you know, the Bureau of Prison has a challenging job to do. They're doing it. Um, it's been inconsistent um, throughout Nationwide, but they're doing it. And and I'm glad they're doing it. They're reviewing the criteria set out for them. And they will continue, as far as we know. 
Um, what's going to happen on those on home confinement? Stay tuned. Um, we'll we'll give you an answer here as soon as we get one. Uh, some kind of a reading from our sources, but uh, in the meantime, uh, you know, consult with people. Consult with with the experts that know these things, um, and and get a reading so we could provide guidance to y'all um, and set the the clock. <coughs> Um, and I appreciate um, your time, Bruce. I appreciate you oh, inviting me. Yes, sir. Thanks for coming on the show again. And man, so man, we get started. We we can just do this every week. We, we probably need have a pr- federal prison show, man. It would be awesome. Well, folks, it was another fantastic episode of the Concierge Coaches Show here today on LA Tuck Radio. If you want to talk to myself or Mr. Santana, come by our website at federalprisonauthority.com. Also, we have a Facebook tribe, Facebook group. It's nearing 3,000 inmate families, judges, and attorneys, and everybody. It's called the uh, First Step Act Federal Prison Reform Facebook page. Check that out. And um, and also federalprisonauthority.com. Jose and I can uh, answer your questions. We have a phone number available that we get called constantly and answer questions. But we're here to do that uh, because um, we want you to get the the right guidance and not get uh, fleeced by somebody who is less than qualified. Anyhow, so with that, uh, we'll bid everybody a great afternoon. Thanks for uh, tuning in to the Concierge Coaches Show and be with us next week when we have another exciting program for you here on LA Talk Radio. Again, check us out on the LA Talk Radio site. We're on Apple Podcast. Uh, we're also on several podcast aggregators. Uh, we have a Facebook Concierge Coaches show and the Concierge Coaches on Instagram. God, all this social media is driving me nuts, but uh, it's where we live in. Y'all take care. Have a great week. We'll see you here next time on the Concierge Coaches show. Take care, everybody. Take care. You're listening to the Concierge Coaches Show with Bruce Cameron and Justin Nimmergood, only on LA Talk Radio.